Genesis chapter 22 in our Bibles, there are different narratives in the Bible that are hard to explain. Um, sometimes our children will ask questions, Daddy, why? And then they'll ask a hard question about the Bible. And this is a story that brings up some hard questions. One of my favorites, though, um, because it's a narrative that really reminds us that, and God is revealed here in a very special way to us, um, but that God sees exactly where we're at and that God actually is making provision for us where we're at. Even when we may not see we have a need, we may not even know we have a need, or maybe we do know that we have a need, but we don't know how that need's going to be met. God meets that need. And specifically, in, uh, in our service this morning, I want to highlight, as was just sung for us, that God has provided for us. You know, we glory in the, clo- in the cross because uh, we brought nothing to the Lord. We had nothing but suffering and shame and sin. And, uh, and so we, we do glory in the cross but it, because it was at the cross where Jesus Christ became our sin and he in turn gave us his righteousness. And then thankfully, though, he overcame the death of the cross and he will rule and reign for all of eternity. But I want to go back in time a little bit. Genesis chapter 22 is where we're going to be at. Um, and you might, many of us know this narrative. There might be some here this morning you've never heard this story before. Um, but Abraham, uh, known as the father of the nation of Israel, God had promised Abraham a son. And God had made a covenant with Abraham that he was going to give him a son and that out of this son, he was going to make a great nation. And um, and God did. He, he, he blessed Abraham with a son. They named the boy Isaac. And then God came to Abraham one day and God told Abraham that he wanted to take his only son and he wanted him to sacrifice him, offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, what would you do um, if we were talking about your child? What would you do? How would we respond to the Lord? Now, many of us know this narrative, but Abraham had never been down that path before. He, um, he had never been asked by God to do this. He'd been asked by God to do other things, but he'd never been asked by God to do this. How was Abraham going to respond? Was Abraham going to respond to God in love? And in faith, trusting God, or was he going to tell God, no, you've crossed the line. God, you've gone too far. You're asking too much, and I will not do it. I will not trust you in this. I will not obey you in this. And uh, God really was revealing to Abraham, Abraham's faith. And he also was revealing to us, to Abraham and to all of us, that God saw the need before Abraham ever realized there was a need. And God met the need, not only in Abraham's life, but for the sins of the whole world. And this is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ's sacrifice for you and for me. Let's read about it. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse number 1. I'll read down through verse number 14. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, the word tempt there means to test, okay? He wasn't tempting um, Abraham to sin. We know that God does not tempt man with evil, but he was testing Abraham. And he said unto him, 
Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham arose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the, the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and, an, and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord, or the messenger of the Lord, called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him upon, up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place. Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we are assembled today to hear your word and to be with one another and to uh, encourage one another. Uh, Father, we, we ask for a blessing from you today by your mercy and your grace in our hearts. I pray that you would rekindle love in our hearts for you as we contemplate your love for us that is eternal and that never fails. Father, I pray for us uh, who are parents. Uh, many of us have given our children back to you. Uh, you've given them to us and we, we've have given them to you in prayer and we've offered them to you, Lord, as a living sacrifice for you to use according to your will. Uh, Lord, we as Christian parents want our children to bring you glory and honor and to be used by you for ministry and service for your name. Lord, I pray that we would not now try to pull them off of that altar because the service that you've called them to is different than what we thought. Father, I pray that uh, we would, our hearts would be drawn out to love you this morning as we think about the fact that you sent your son to die for us. 
to take our sins away, and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And I pray now, glorify and honor your name in our hearts, and I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So what does it mean, and I'm talking about Abraham here, but one thing that strikes me very clearly from this narrative is that Abraham loved God. He loved God with all of his heart. Uh, He trusted God, and I think that's obvious in the passage as well. Abraham's willing immediately to obey the Lord and go to this place with his son and take his son alone up onto the mount. He's willing to take a knife and about to slit the throat of his son to then light his remains on fire as a burnt offering to the Lord. And all of these things are beyond our comprehension, frankly. It's a very emotional picture, I think. And I believe God laid this out. I believe in part uh, he asked Abraham to do this to bring to our attention today how emotional it was for he as our heavenly father to send his own son to this sin-cursed earth to become our sins. Because we could ask that question, what kind of a father would do this to their son? We might ask the question, Why would God do that to his son for you and for me? And so that is the picture that we see in this passage. And we see here Abraham's love. It's his supreme love for the Lord. In Matthew 22, Jesus talked about that kind of love. He said this, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy mind. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love is costly, isn't it? Love is costly. Abraham loved God so much he was willing to sacrifice his only son. God loved us so much he was willing to sacrifice his only son for you and for me. So if we're going to follow the Lord, it's going to cost us something. It really is impossible to love this world and to love God at the same time. Abraham is known as the father of the Hebrew nation. And there are a lot of wonderful blessings that have come out of the Jewish people that the entire world has benefited from. God chose uh, the nation of Israel, a special nation, a a covenant people, a promised people. Uh, He used them in a very important part for the world. Uh, In fact, it's through the nation of Israel that we have the word of God. Today, it's through the word of God that the, the, the it's through the. The Hebrew nation that God chose to send his only begotten son, a savior, came through the nation of Israel. So God was going to bring the greatest of blessings to the earth through this nation, the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel started with Abraham. Right. And Isaac, his son, is going to out of Isaac and out of Abraham is going to spring up this a wonderful nation that we're going to receive the word of God from and through, and the Savior of the world is going to come through them. And then God chose to test Abraham. Sometimes God chooses to test us. And uh, to test us whether or not we fear him. Uh, To test us whether or not we love him whether or not we are willing to trust him. And look at, look at it in verse 1. He says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, he said, Behold, 
here I am. And I'm not going to say much about that, but this was the relationship that Abraham had with God. When God spoke, Abraham's response was, here I am. When God speaks to us, I wonder what our response is to him. I wonder how much he has to knock at the door of our hearts. I wonder when he speaks to us by his spirit, the still small voice of his spirit through his words. I wonder, I wonder, do we long to hear his words? And I wonder what our response is to our to his words. I wonder if our response is here I am. Look at verse two. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Only son. And get thee into the land of Moriah. That means chosen by Jehovah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Do you ever find yourself sometimes in the word of God when you read it? Do you ever find that you find great encouragement? I mean, you're, you, maybe the heaviness of the day or the week or whatever it may be, the heaviness of your spirit. Or, or maybe you're looking forward with a great anticipation to the day ahead and you read a passage of scripture and it's about God going with you. And it's an encouragement to go. Or maybe you're planning to, uh, to tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ and some truths from the word of God. Uh, the spirit of God reminds you of those truths as you go out to give the gospel or to overcome temptation, whatever the case may be. Oftentimes the word of God is a tremendous encouragement to us. How many of us would describe verse 2 as a great encouragement to Abraham? <laughs> Not at all. Uh, uh, the Lord speaks to Abraham. Abraham says, uh, I'm here. Lord, speak to me. I'm ready to hear you. I'm ready to obey you. What is it that you want me to know, Lord? And, and God, Jehovah, speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to take the son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac, and I want you to take him to this place, and I want you to offer him there to me as a sacrifice. Uh, that might have been one of those days where we would say it this way, we just wish we had not opened the Bible that day. We just wish we'd, he'd rather not spoken to us that day. Now, pretend, we, pretend you don't know the rest of the story and pretend that God was asking you to place a knife to your dearly beloved child's throat. To offer your child as a burnt sacrifice or a burnt offering to the Lord. And here's the reality. God had a plan for Abraham's life. And he had a plan for Isaac's life. And he has a plan for each one of our lives. And for each one of our children's lives, the Bible tells us that our days are numbered, that God knows them. He knows what his plan is for each one of my children. As parents, we love to dream, don't we? You know, William's all excited. He wants to play Little League Baseball. And so I can't help myself. Um, I brought home a glove the other day for William because the last one was too small. And Cindy looked at me. She said, is it his birthday? <laughs> no, it's not his birthday. It's just I'm his dad. And he's going to play Little League Baseball. And we need to go out there and practice. And I want to play catch with my son. That's what I want to do. And then a couple days later, a bat showed up. And she's like, is it his birthday? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know. It's not his birthday. It's just he's my son. 
and I want to watch him play. I want him to watch him run the bases and slide into first when he shouldn't. I want him to watch him throw the ball completely in the wrong direction or be picking dandelions out in the field. I want to watch him do all of those things. You know, I, Ian, I love Ian very dearly. Ian is a very empathetic, compassionate person. He feels things very deeply. Um, he, you may know this if you see him walking around. He doesn't know a difference. Between, he doesn't see himself as higher than or better than anyone. It doesn't matter. It could be the smallest child, and Ian will play with that child. That's a very special. Not all children are like that. And my daughters, I, I love my, we, we, we love our children. We have great hopes and dreams and aspirations for our children. And Abraham would have been no different. But here now, God is testing Abraham. He has a plan for Abraham to accomplish. And Abraham was the person that God chose to identify the place where God would make salvation available to all men. 2,000 years before Jesus Christ came to earth, God chose to present to mankind in this text, in Genesis chapter 22, an emotional picture of the salvation that God was going to provide for all of mankind. And the question is, can we understand a God like this? I think it's hard for us to, because when I ask you the question, would you be willing to offer your child? Our response is, no way. But that's exactly what God did for you and for me. That is exactly what he did for you and for me. Can we understand a God like this? A God who was willing to give his only begotten son for men and women who had rebelliously sinned against him, who did not love him. Abraham would experience some of the emotion that our heavenly father experienced when he sent his son and his son died on that cross. There are two sides to this story, and I want to look at them this morning. One side is Abraham's side, and the other side is God's side. We'll notice Abraham's part of the story first. And Abraham's part of the story was to love God supremely and to trust him completely. That was Abraham's role. Abraham's role, and I'll say it again, was to love God supremely more than anything else in life and to trust God completely. And that is our responsibility in life, to love God supremely and to trust him completely. Do you find that it's a challenge for you to love God supremely? I mean, the Bible tells us we love him because he first loved us. But do you not find in your life, in your daily life, in your daily thoughts, do you not find that there's, uh, there are other things that pull at your affections? I find that. Do you not find that it's challenging sometimes to trust God completely? I mean, we trusted him for salvation. He has saved us from death and hell. But, but as we go through life, not only is it the, God, why is this happening? But sometimes we, we understand God knows what's best, but we're not so sure that he's using his wisdom the best way. He could have done, some, he could have done this differently. He could have chosen another way. Why, didn't, why isn't God doing things differently, we might ask, in our lives? And Abraham was at that place, and he's being asked of God to love God supremely and to trust him completely. I, I can tell that Abraham did love God supremely and trust him completely because I noticed in verse 3 that Abraham obeyed God immediately. And you might ask yourself, 
Am I willing to obey God immediately? Look at verse 3. God comes to him in verse 2 and says, Take your son, the one that you love, go to Moriah, offer him there for a burnt offering. And and I'll tell you which one it is when we get there. And then in verse 3, the Bible shows us Abraham's response. It says, And Abraham rose up early in the morning. It's a characteristic uh, of obedience, immediate obedience. He rises up early in the morning and he saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. This is amazing to me. Abraham did not delay. You know, there are some things that we have to do in life that we just don't enjoy. You know, it's not enjoyable to do. There are some days where we wake up, and I especially see this in in our our children, where, you know, if there's something exciting, if they're going to go to Aunt Heather's house for a birthday party, the kids are all up before we are. It's like, go back to bed, you know. But no, they're up early, right? If it's Christmas morning, the children are up early. Um, But if it's a school day... You know, they don't care to get up. Sleeping would be fine, you know. So there's some things we want to get up for and we're enthused about and other things we don't. Uh, Can you imagine God coming to you saying, this is what I want for you to do. You're going to take Isaac and you're going to take him to this place I'm going to show you and you're going to offer him there as a burnt offering to me. How many of us would want to get out of bed the next morning? Not not at all. Not at all. Maybe morning will never come. And Abraham, he gets up early in the morning. And so there's this is a sign of obedience. This is a sign of supremely loving God and trusting God. The sign is obedience, immediate obedience. I also noticed in verse 5, verses 4 and 5, that Abraham worshipped God unquestioningly. He worshiped God unquestioningly. Look at verse number four. It says, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. So they've traveled for three days to get to this place. Imagine three days of anxiety. I mean, most of us here haven't, I probably could say most of us here haven't ever killed an animal in hunting or something like that. We don't, most of us haven't done that let alone to slit an animal's throat. I don't know that any of us here have killed a human being, let alone to slit the throat of your son. This is, for three days he traveled, three days wondering what this was going to be like, imagining what it was going to be like. How is he going to get his son on the altar? Is he going to be able to do it? Now, I don't know... To what degree? I can only surmise to what his thoughts might have been. But for three days, I imagine there was some anxiety and some questions. I imagine because Abraham, though he was a man of faith and though he loved God supremely, he was still a human being. And I imagine him wondering what God was going to do. And I think he came to a conclusion. Hebrews tells us that he came to a conclusion. But he worshiped God in questioning. Look at verse number five. And Abraham said unto his Uh, Unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. Come again unto you. 
What, what, what did God ask Abraham to do again? Verse 2. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering. So what, what is Abraham doing in verse number 5, telling the young men, his servants, to stay at the base of the mountain? We're going to go, Isaac and I are going to go up into the mountain. We're going to worship the Lord there. And we're both, you see it there, we're, we're going to return unto you, plural. Can't help but noticing, though, Abraham's worship for God. He worshiped God unquestioningly. It cost, it's costly to love God. It's costly to worship him. Should we resent the cost of loving God supremely? Should we covet an easier path? Should we covet an easier cross to bear? Should we resent that God desires his very best for us? Because that's what God's desire for Abraham and Isaac was, his very best. Romans 12 and verse 1, Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. How do we know that Abraham loved God supremely? And the answer to that question is because he worshiped God unquestioningly. I notice, thirdly, regarding Abraham's part, Abraham hoped in God confidently. He hoped in God confidently. Look at verse number five again. Abraham tells these young men to stay with the donkey, and he says that he and his son are going to go yonder and worship, and they're going to come again. Look at verse six. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and knife, and they went both of them together, and Isaac this is very intimate. Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood that he was carrying on his own back. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God. These are amazing words. Abraham did not know what he was saying. God had prepared Abraham to speak his words. Verse 8, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went, both of them, together. Now, remember, God had promised, remember God's promises to Abraham. They were all to be fulfilled through this boy. We tend to look at wealth as stuff, you know, how big a house a man has or what kind of vehicles he has or how big of a bank account he has or what the 401k looks like. Or We tend to look at uh, wealth in that way. Uh, there was no 401k for Abraham. Uh, his future, the, fa- the family name, If there was going to be any future at all for Abraham, it was his son. It was the boy. There was nothing else. It was his son. And all the promises that God had spoken to him. And Isaac, right, uh, making of of Isaac or through Isaac a great nation for Abraham. Isaac uh, could not bear children if he were dead and in the ground. Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. 
in Hebrews chapter 11 in verse number 9. You might look at it later. It says, by faith, speaking about Abraham, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, with heirs with him of the same promise. In verse number 19, it goes on to say, accounting that God was able to raise him up. Accounting, uh, uh, it means to think, to think something through, to contemplate it. To contemplate. That tells me during those three days, Abraham was doing some contemplating. What is God going to do? He's trying to reconcile God's promise of a great nation through his son Isaac with sacrifice your son to me. He's, he's reconciling all these things. And what was the end of his accounting, this, this accounting term? His, his, the reconciliation of all of these things that God was telling him was that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. That was Abraham's conclusion. And he was going to slit his own son's throat and God was going to raise him from the dead. And God, being a covenant keeping God, was going to keep his word and make of his son a great nation. That was Abraham's conclusion. Abraham hoped in God constantly. That was Abraham's part. To supremely love God and to trust God completely. What was God's part? Well, God's part was to see the need and to meet the need. That was God's part in this story. Look at verse 9. We'll read down through verse 14. And they came to the place which God had told them of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou do uh, thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for the burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. God's side of the story was to see the need and to meet the need. And that's exactly what he did. And to this day, that is exactly what God does. He sees the need and he meets the need. He sees the need and he meets the need. Now, God always has a purpose and a plan. He wasn't he doesn't play games. He doesn't play games. In verse 14, Abraham calls the name of the mountain Jehovah Jireh, which means God sees. It does not. This name of God does not literally mean God provides, as some say. Where do we get the idea of provision or God's? providence or God provides the end of verse 14 does not say it shall be provided at the end of verse 14 it says in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen where do we get the idea of this provision well can think about with me for a moment for the the word provision it's made up of two parts pro which means before and vision uh, to see before the need ever arose God saw the need and he made a provision to meet the need. That ram was there. God provided. 
a sacrifice needed to be made for all of our sins. And God provided a lamb, the lamb, the lamb of God. Provision is God seeing the need before the need is there and working to provide for the need. You know, needs come up in our lives. Just yesterday, I was uh, driving home from Heather's birthday party in the truck and uh, the engine light came on. (laughs) I didn't know that was going to happen. I like lights, not those kind, you know. But whether it's an engine light coming on or an engine going out, or a tire going out. God sees the need and he's already provided for the need. Right? This is this is what God does. God's side of the story was to provide a ram in the place of Isaac. And those who love God supremely can expect God to see their needs and meet those needs at the very moment that that need is uh, where where the need needs to be met. You know that if Abraham had not loved God supremely and trusted God completely, he would not have been on Mount Moriah to experience God's provision. Sometimes we find ourselves, and we, if you and I were talking with Abraham, and Abraham came to us and said, listen, God spoke to me, and he said he wants me to take Isaac up onto the mountain and sacrifice him and offering him as a burnt offering to the Lord. How many of us would have said, that's a good idea, Abraham, we think you ought to do it? Sometimes God asks things of us that we do not think are a good idea. And yet God does not play games and he always has a purpose and he wanted to reveal to Abraham and not just to Abraham and Isaac, but to all of us through this picture. He wanted to give a foreshadowing of God's love for the world, a sinful world. In sending Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. What a marvelous picture. And God used that through a difficult, difficult test. And so Abraham calls the mount, uh, the name of this mountain Jehovah Jireh. The place was called Jehovah will always see my need before I see it. And by the time I have seen my need, I can know that God would, has already made a provision for the need. That was Abraham's conclusion. That's why he named the mountain that. That's what he learned about God. God always sees my need and he's already made a provision for my need. I can always count on the Lord to meet my need. That was Abraham. That's what he learned through this. And, you know, sometimes in our lives, oftentimes in our lives, the only way to learn those truths is to experience them. We've heard them taught. We've read about them in the lives of lives of others. Sometimes we even see hear other people in our day. Give testimony to God's provision and God's grace to help them through a time of suffering. And we hear their testimony and we think, wow, that's amazing. Or we we think, well, I could never go through that. Or I don't know what I would do. And yet then God brings us through a time of testing and a time of trial. And we learn that truth as well. What did God see on this mountain? Well, God saw a brokenhearted father, didn't he? In verse 9. They come to this place. Abraham builds an altar there and he lays the wood in order. And he binds Isaac, his son. Some people think that Isaac was a small boy. Others think he could have been as old as 35, 36 years of age. It's likely that Isaac was a teenager or maybe in his early 20s. Isaac could have resisted his father. He didn't do that. 
And Abraham, it says at the end of verse 9, laid him, his son, on the altar upon the wood. He raises the knife, or he reaches out with the knife. I can imagine here Abraham's grief. And in Abraham's grief, God reveals to us that God saw the emotional turmoil that he was going to go through in sending his son to die. The New Testament speaks about Jesus' turmoil and his grief. Sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Do we think that the Father was not touched? Do we think that he has no emotion? The Bible tells us otherwise. God the Father has emotion. He can be angry. He can be grieved. And Jesus saw a heartbroken father. I also noticed in verse 9, the middle part, God saw a submissive son. And you see there, this boy, this young man, is willing to allow his father to place him on the altar. He doesn't resist. He doesn't run away. He asked his father on the way up, where's, where's the lamb, Dad? We've got the, we've got the wood. We've got the fire, but where's the lamb? So we know that this, this young man could, could reason and was thinking. But Isaac submitted to the will of his father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, Father, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Both of those men, a father and a son, and Isaac walked up Mount Moriah to do what God had asked them to do. God saw a temple built in Jerusalem. It's thought that the location where Abraham built the altar became the location for the altar in the temple that Solomon built. In 2 Chronicles 3 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. For hundreds of years, for hundreds of years, God saw hundreds of thousands of lambs slain on that altar, God saw them. Year after year, God saw the lambs, their throats cut, the blood flowing out. And for all of those hundreds of years of bloodshed, God saw. He saw the Lamb of God, not just those little lambs, but the Lamb of God slain from the, for the sins of all mankind. In Mark, 13, or Mark 15, verse 34, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God saw all of that. Jehovah Jireh, God sees, he saw. And God saw his only begotten son take our place. He saw his son labor on that cross for six hours, pulling himself up against the nails to raise himself for just another breath to fulfill the will of his father. It's interesting to me that the gospel writers do not emphasize the physical suffering of Jesus. In fact, Luke, who was a doctor, in the gospel according to Luke, he doesn't emphasize the physical suffering at all. In fact, he speaks, he refers to Jesus being on the cross in very few words, frankly. He says in Luke 23 and verse 33, Luke records this, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. That's it. Now we, this morning, will partake of these elements. The juice representing the blood of Christ and the bread representing the body of Christ being broken for us. I mean, what Christ suffered physically was brutal. 
His death was excruciating. His physical death, the physical beating, I cannot say it was the worst or the harshest of deaths that have ever been experienced. Other men have died excruciating deaths. I cannot say that his beatings were more excruciating than any other man uh, that has ever suffered a beating. The Bible does not lead us to believe that. What, what made Jesus' suffering distinctly terrible, more terrible? What made his death more horrible than any other death that has ever been experienced? It was not the mode of death. Other men had been crucified. It was not the physical beatings. And the Holy Spirit doesn't emphasize the physical sufferings of Christ because it wasn't the physical sufferings of Christ that made his death so terrible. The death Christ died involved far more agony and suffering than the deaths that other men have died. What, this, this, what was the significance of his sufferings? It, was, it, was, it involved what God the Father did to him. That's what made Christ's death so terrible. What, what God the Father did to his son. The Bible tells us that God must punish sin. And if God were to punish us for our sins, we would all be doomed to hell forever. But in our Savior, in love, Jesus was willing to die in our place as our substitute in order to take upon himself the punishment that we deserved. And what was that? It was the wrath of Almighty God. It was the anger of Almighty God. It was the judgment of God against sin, which we deserved, but Christ took for us. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, the Bible says, Christ hath once suffered for sins, for our sins, the just for the unjust. The prophet Isaiah wrote about the coming Messiah and what he would accomplish on the cross. In Isaiah 53 in verse 5, he says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah goes on to say in that passage that Jesus was stricken of God. And that he was smitten of God. That he was bruised by God. You know, we think of the Jews and their lies and their manipulation and their trying of Jesus. We think of the Roman soldiers and how they beat him and how they crucified him. But the blows that were more significant were the blows of Almighty God upon his own son. As he punished our sinless substitute for the sins which we committed. And so when you partake of the juice this morning and the bread this morning, you're reminded of what God saw. Before he ever created man, he knew that we were going to sin against him. And he knew we were going to hate him. He knew that we were going to rebel against him. And he predetermined that he would love us anyway and send his own son to buy us back. And that he didn't just subject his son to the ridicule of men and the rejection of men and the beating of men and the crucifixion of men, but he subjected himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to his own judgment 
to satisfy his justice so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. God saw. Georgia Adams wrote this. She wrote, "'Twas not a martyr's death he died, the Christ of Calvary. It was the willing sacrifice he made for you, for me. Though wicked hands with force laid hold upon the Savior dear, though mockery filled heart and lip without a surge of fear, he died a death before ordained according to God's plan. He hung not there on Calvary's hill to please the will of man. He could have summoned angel hosts, the wicked hands to stay, but well he knew salvation's plan was founded on that day. Nay, not a martyr, but instead a sacrifice for me. He died the death on Calvary's cross to set a lost world free.